I uh, am glad to be here again today. If I can figure this system out, it'll uh, be helpful, right? I have been showing up at Living Springs, not uh, just uh, since John's been here. I've been here for 34 years. Yeah. And uh, honestly, the first time I came here was uh, in 1983. And uh, you had a different pastor, one that joked less. Um, And honestly, um, I I was starting to plant a church in Rancho Cucamonga at the time. And we didn't have a salary, so it was uh, the series that I was invited to, or the message I was invited to uh, present was Ministry on a Shoestring. And I remember the pastor at the time got up, and there was, might have been 15 people in, in the congregation. And he stood up, and he put his hands on either side of the pulpit, and he went, and I thought, oh, boy, this is going to be good. <laughs> uh, that, that was then, and this is now, and I'm so thankful for your pastor, the vitality of this church now, and uh, the way God is on the roll here. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, you know what? I probably do need some technical help with this thing. It's uh, it's a mystery to me. So I turned sixty this year. You don't need to sing Happy Birthday. Uh, so there we go. Hit oh, you hit play. Okay. <laughs> no, honestly, it wasn't up. Anyway, okay. We got a text on the on the uh, screen. You know what that means, right? You read it with me. So this is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Shall we read it together? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We all believe that God's incapable of doing incredible things, things beyond what we ask or imagine, don't we? You're supposed to say yes, right? Uh, or is that just church talk? I, I hope it's real in our lives. And this morning, I, I want to share with you, as John suggested, some of the things that have occurred in Eden Reforestation Projects in my life and Uh, if you will, vicariously in your own lives, because this has been a church that's been supportive of Eden Project since the very beginning. Now, I'm not going to give you a lot of theology about creation care, which is what I've focused on in the past. Today, I I just want to kind of tell you my story, probably something I've never shared with this church. And my hope is that you'll be inspired to see the reality that this text... um, can bring to life in ways that you would have never, ever anticipated. Now, as a starting point, you probably don't know that I am the son of missionary parents. I was raised on the, at least in large part, on the island of Mindanao in the Philippine Islands, and my my parents ministered in part to a headhunter tribe. And I don't mean a group that called you up and tried to get you to take a new job. This, these were people that historically literally cut your head off. And so my uh, upbringing was probably a little bit different than yours. Um, a lot of it was positive, but a lot of it was 
not so positive. It, it was difficult being sent away to a dorm school at age 10, and I'm, you know, no need to cry for me. I'm, I'm fine, I think. Um, but one of the convictions in my heart that came out of that experience of growing up as, a, as what they call an MK is I wanted nothing, and I mean nothing, to do with foreign ministry. No way. Wouldn't even think about it. I'd send them money if somebody asked, but I wasn't going. I'd, I'd done my duty. But when I accepted the role, as John mentioned, of superintendent, that's the guy who oversees roughly 60 to 100 churches, whatever it is, here in Southern California. To my great surprise, no one had told me, I was also given the assignment to be superintendent over a new work in Ethiopia. Yay! <laughs> I mean, literally no one told me. We had a couple of Ethiopian pastors in our, in our conference of churches, and they wanted to open uh, in the work since communism had, had departed Ethiopia. Next thing I know, I was in Ethiopia. So uh, God's imagination was way beyond what I had asked. In fact, what I didn't ask. And uh, I was off to the races. And the thing that was interesting about it is we, we actually did some pretty good work in those early, early years. Any of you remember those days? A couple of you? Nobody? Oh, Alzheimer's? I don't know. Um, <laughs> bottom line is, is we, we built a hospital. We built a couple of medical clinics. We built an HIV daycare center for orphans. We built um, four or five schools and something like 34 churches all in six years. Yeah. <laughs> so for a guy who never wanted in, I got in. And bottom line is, is I, I became uh, friends with President Haile Mariam of the Southern People's Region. And uh, that's where this verse began to take off in a direction I would have never imagined, and I certainly didn't ask for it. Basically, um, beyond imagination for me occurred about three months before the meeting with Haile Mariam when a 12-foot wall water of mud and debris slammed into Uduwatete and killed 11 of the villagers and left the whole village decimated. I found myself in this meeting with the president, and that's where he informed me of the tragedy at Udu. And he went on to ask me, and I wasn't asking God, he was asking me if I would consider taking over a defunct, failed reforestation project that was designed to restore the forest above the hillsides at Udu, what we now call the Three Hills region, and you can see um, those three hills. Um, he went on to say that if we could not restore the forest above those hills, that the villagers would literally be forcefully relocated. They would become what you might want to uh, recognize as eco-refugees. And then within just a few hours, I found myself standing in front or sitting alongside the elders at Udu and looking down on this ecological disaster. 
The elders began their story talking about the good old days when the forest, when they were boys, when the forest was thick. Abundant wildlife, water everywhere, and sustainable farming was beyond sustainable. It was really good. But that was then and, and this was now. Now that literally the springs, and I want you to remember this, especially since it's in your church name, the springs had dried up. And so had the streams. And the consideration of sustainable farming, being able to barely scratch out an existence from the earth, was pretty much gone. And then came the 12-foot wall of devastation. At the end of that history, I asked the elders, do you really want your forest back? You sabotaged the last group. Do you really want your forest back? They responded with an enthusiastic, unanimous yes. And I believed them. But what began to trouble my heart and mind was how in the world, even though I felt the Holy Spirit stirring me to say yes to this idea, how in the world could I possibly succeed when this other group that was well-funded and full of PhDs in environmental science and agro and all the kind of degrees you need to be successful, how could I succeed when they had failed? Kind of the bottom line is, is I knew I was not academically prepared to take on the project. I uh, was a business major in college, and then my master's and my, my doctoral studies were in theology, as you would probably assume for a church guy. But this is where God never wastes your life experience. What I had going for me in, in the, the manufacturing of a life in Christ was I knew how, because of my upbringing, to relate well to villagers and to listen respectfully to their concerns, concerns that the experts with all the degrees had ignored. So we were off to the races. How many of you have been to Africa? Anybody out there? A couple? I bet you've seen this. If, if you've been to Africa, you've been driving through Africa, undoubtedly you've seen this. Or if you've been to Asia or any other place in the world, you've seen extremely poor people with big loads of wood on their back. You've seen it, right? It's so common. And, and it, it seems innocent enough. But what you have to stop and understand is extremely poor people living in what we call third world countries do destructive things just to survive. And in this case, one of the primary causes of, of the meltdown of the forest across the globe is you've got, and I'm not exaggerating, you've got tens of millions of African, Asians, uh, and, and Central and South American people cutting down one, two, three, four trees, live trees, every single week to make charcoal. It's how they heat their homes. It's how they, they cook their food. It's how they survive. So their energy source is live trees turned into charcoal so that they can survive. And this process is what largely denuded the Udu escarpment. And 
the difficulty is they have to survive. They are desperate. They only make a couple of dollars a week after, uh, from all of that work. So as I begin to think and pray about how in the world can the next phase succeed at this reforestation project, if at all, um, what came to mind was something similar to what your church has already talked about with ELI, a sponsorship program. But in this case, we wouldn't be sponsoring children. We would be paying the villagers, basically the same villagers that had been cutting down the trees to turn into charcoal. We would now kind of flip the, the scenario and flip the economic equation because making a couple of dollars a week making charcoal is incredibly destructive, hard work, non-productive. We would hire them to grow, plant, and guard trees to maturity. A lot, lot less work and actually a lot more money. They would start making, instead of 3 or $4 a week, they would start making more like 25 to $30 a week, even as they stayed farmers. They could still stay farmers because they were only going to work for a couple hours in the morning and a couple hours in the evening. So we started planting trees at Udu. And some of you have seen some of these pictures along the way before. And uh, I'd just like to point this out. This is bad. Wouldn't you agree that this is better? This is just how God can work in and through you beyond what you could ask, beyond what you can imagine. And again, I, I am grateful for the support that's come from this congregation because you really are part of that tree effort, whether you know it or not. So Ethiopia was the first step into this new imaginative world, this world beyond my imagination. And Madagascar was next on the list. In 2006, another missionary kid by the name of Jamie Schottenberg and I were sitting in a restaurant in Santa Barbara, California, and he began to tell me about Mahabana. Mahabana is a small fishing village on the west coast of Madagascar. And I don't mean the cartoon movie, I mean the actual giant island, the fifth largest island in the world, um, unique place, Madagascar. Basically, he began telling me how the villagers over the decades had been cutting down the mangroves in the estuary. How many of you know what mangroves even are? Anybody out there? Oh, good. Some of you are tree people. Well, mangroves, if you don't know, are the, the species of trees that actually grow in salt water and brackish water. And they're really important to the environment. I won't get into all that because you'll just think I'm weirder than I already am. Um, but bottom line is, is they'd been cutting down the mangroves for decades, and the place was strip-mined. And it got so bad that when the annual cyclone seasons kicked in, the, the surge coming in from the ocean was wiping out the village every year. Very similar to what had happened to Udu, but in a different in a different context and setting. But Udu was wiped out by, by torrential floods, and now 
Mahabana is being wiped out in a different part of the world. And so Jamie went on to say, what, what if we start just an experimental project planting mangrove propagules? Because mangroves don't uh, usually grow from seed. They grow from these long stem-like things that fall off the tree and stick in the mud. And, and uh, then within 48 hours, they grow leaves and, and roots. It's amazing. Um, it's very impressive what God thinks up. Um, bottom line is, is um, I asked Jamie, do you know anything about mangroves? He said, no. And I, I admitted an equal level of ignorance. Nevertheless, Dumb and Dumber decided to launch the project. And this is the weird part about it. If you go online and Google mangrove reforestation, you'll find that almost everyone, virtually everyone, takes the propagules and they, they start them in a nursery. And it takes a lot longer, it's a lot more expensive, and the survival rate is, is, is fairly low. What we knew is that while Dumb and Dumber didn't know much about mangroves, the Mahabana villagers did. And they just picked the propagules and they went out and stuck them in the mud. Six months later, they had already planted 200,000 mangroves. And the survival rate was in excess of 90%. That's good, right? You'd agree, that's good. So just in case you're confused about how much imagination God's got, he's even smarter than PhDs. He really is. So this is bad. You agree with that, right? And keep an eye on the trees in the background because this is the same place uh, just a few years later. God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. I, I hope you can see that in my story and I can see in your story that God is at work at that level. So today, uh, John, John talked about millions and millions and millions. You know how many mangroves have been planted in Madagascar now? As of this month, uh, over 134 million. There, there are now over uh, 500. There are now over 500 mangrove planters working in Madagascar, and there's massive areas covered with emerging mangrove forest that are giving all kinds of benefits both to the people as fishermen and to the uh, earth in general and, and, of course, to wildlife, and it's just amazing. They're now planting 2.5 million more mangroves every single month, even as, and this is the cool part, even as all of these people and their children are being lifted out of extreme poverty because they have a job. Here's one of the parts about Eden's story that people struggle to understand. We're not actually a tree planting organization. We're actually an employment opportunity organization, and the job we offer is tree planting. Okay? So our twin mission of caring for the poor, which is at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and caring for the planet, which is also at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You just haven't probably paid attention to those verses very often have been combined. And the imagination of God is definitely 
on a roll. Here's another location, the Majunga uh, estuary, the before and after in just a few years. It's, it's amazing. Early on, um, I've really felt the Lord gave a, a, a life verse for Eden. And it's out of uh, Isaiah 41. You want to read it with me? I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. I will put in the desert the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. I will set junipers in the wasteland, the fir and the cypress together, so that people may see and know, may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done, Holy One of Israel has created it. There's a lot of verses in Scripture like this, believe it or not, where God begins to share his heart about restoring his creation. And as Americans, we're still debating so much. We've politicized so much and not allowed Scripture to actually speak for itself. And one of the things I'd like to ask, if you can imagine it, is let go of Republican versus Democrat or Democrat versus Republican theology when it comes time to read God's word. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. See texts like this. And there's so many subjects that could penetrate our hearts if we would be Christ followers, firm and foundational, not Republicans or Democrats or Independents or Green Party or any other party. He's our party first, <laughs> okay? I, I hope I didn't offend anybody by saying that, but uh, I'm deeply convicted of that. So that's a quick history of what we've seen with the trees. But here's, the th here's part of the thing that's really interesting. Um, our reality is planting trees has not been the most challenging part of the story. I don't know if you're aware of this, but trees have actually been growing by themselves for some time now. <laughs> you're aware of that. It doesn't even take a PhD to grow trees. They've, they've been doing okay by themselves. What the most difficult aspect of, of the work that we've been challenged by is when we have to face corruption and oppression. And man, oh man, in, in third world countries, does, does it ever hit you in the face? So, one example being slavery. A lot of people believe that slavery was abolished long ago. The truth is, slavery is just as common today as it ever has been in the history of the world. That's a fact. And in Mahabana, the, the, the form of oppression that we faced was indentured servanthood. Um, we didn't know it at the time when we started the project, but the overwhelming percentage of the adults in the village were in debt bondage to what we now call the fish lords. And we came in with this idea of we'll give you a job, a cash-paying job, to plant trees. And they went, this is unbelievable, because their current financial arrangement was this. They were required by agreement to, if they used the fish lord's boats and, and nets and, and resources, that they had to bring in a minimum of five kilos of fish every single day. 
If they fell short, they owed the fish lord. And guess what? Most days they fell short. And then he started, or they started, paying the Mahabana fisher folk in alcohol. So they were both in dead bondage and chemical addiction within a short amount of time. And then we came along and started paying them real money just to put propagules in the mud. <laughs> Silly idea, huh? But that's the imagination of God. Things were going on that I had no idea that were occurring, but of course the Lord's heart was broken by the oppression in Mahabana. So within just a few years, all of these villagers had, number one, bought their way out of indentured servanthood, hundreds of them. And they had bought their own nets, and they had bought their own boats, and now they had their own income in addition to what we were providing. Bottom line is, is the fish lords did not like this. So when Jamie and I showed up in the summer of 2013, guess what happened? They literally had us arrested. We sat for several hours in a hut with a guy with an AK-47. Thankfully, by the way, we were being charged with stealing the, the land from Mahabana villagers. And if you believe that, I actually do have some swamp land to sell you. So uh, bottom line is, is the villagers rallied and, and a trial, literally a trial was held. We were found innocent because we were. <coughs> the fish lords were found guilty because they were. And we were set free. And now again, out of this <coughs> whole consideration, there are hundreds of villagers who are free. <coughs> Give me a sec. <coughs> I'm not all choked up, I'm just choking. So, thank you. See, you get, if, you, if you cough, you get water. Uh, but there are other aspects to the story. <coughs> you may be aware of this, but we're living in a, in a time of great extinction. There are literally tens of thousands of plant and animal species that are disappearing off the face of the earth. And the number one reason is they have um, identified as loss of habitat. So you've got lemurs. This guy's not very happy, this Sifica. <coughs> you've got lemurs now who are the most endangered species group on the planet because they're only in Madagascar. Let's, let's cut the sound just for a sec so I can cough and not make an, too much annoyance. <coughs> That's better. Okay. So what happens when you restore habitat? This is what we've seen. First, insects start reappearing because they have stuff to eat on the ground. Quickly followed by birds, small mammals, and reptiles and then guess what? Within three or four years, the big guys start showing up. You're probably not aware we're also working in Nepal now. We've been there for four years. And guess who's showing up in the villages again in Nepal? Elephants. Because there's habitat. There's plenty for them to eat again. And they're both, the villagers are both happy and concerned. But uh, <laughs> we've witnessed this 
proliferation of life, God's creation being restored as, as his imagination took off. Another surprising part of the story that we just didn't imagine was loving parents with an income will in fact begin to send their kids to school. So illiteracy started disappearing. There are now literally several thousand kids who are in school because their parents have a job. I love sponsoring children. Claudette and I, we, we sponsor some. But I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if parents could just send the kids to school themselves because they have a job and they have the resources to accomplish that? And that's exactly what's happened in Mahabana and Kalamburu and many other villages where we're working. So these days, I can't help but imagine what would happen if this became a movement. See, we're now, we're now planting, and this is a real number, we're now planting 81,000 trees a day. That's a lot of trees. And, and some of you think, uh, I don't know about that. But isn't that the point of the verse? Isn't that beyond your imagination? Isn't that beyond what I could ask? I remember in the early days, I was, I can't wait till the day when we're planting a million trees a year. We're doing that in two weeks now. That's a lot of trees, and that's a lot of people being lifted out of extreme poverty. <clears throat> and on average, our, our, our employment base is, that's getting paid to plant trees is putting 27 trees a day into the ground per person. But what if, what if 10 million were hired to put 27 trees a day into the ground? You know what would happen? Let me describe it to you. First, that comes to 98,550,000,000 trees per year. It's enough to reforest entire nations, even in this old guy's lifetime. And I don't, I don't have any idea what you think about climate change, if you're for, against, or, or don't know what I'm talking about. The fact is, if you plant a tree, it absorbs carbon. Doesn't matter if you believe in it or not, it does. It's just biology. And huge amounts of carbon would be absorbed, cooling the planet. Flooding would be stopped at, at places all over the world, like Mahabana and Kalamburu. There would be habitat for wildlife. Even as literally around 100 million of the bottom billion, the poorest of the poor on our planet, would be lifted out of extreme poverty and illiteracy. So here's my question as I wrap up. What keeps you awake at night? What really bothers you that's going on in the world that you, that you just can't imagine a solution for? Pastor Gary was with you a couple of weeks ago. He, he taught me this parable, and you've probably heard it, but it's worth repeating. There was an old man walking on a beach one morning, and he noticed that, of course, it was littered with thousands of starfish. And as he was walking on the beach, he saw a young man in the distance approaching, and as the young man was walking, he was bending over, picking up starfish, and throwing them back into the water. You've heard this story? It's a good one, isn't it? As they got close, the, the old man said, what in the world are you doing? And the young man said, well, 
twit. I am picking up starfish and throwing them back in the water because last night's storm tossed them up onto the beach, and unless someone helps them get back into the sea, they're all going to die. And the old man said, you can't possibly make a difference. And those of you who've heard the story, what he, the young man bit down, and he said, it makes a difference for this one, and it makes a difference for this one, and it makes a difference for this one. This is the kind of, of parable that Jesus taught and modeled on a regular basis. Someone starting off making a seemingly small difference, the parable of the mustard seed, the, the miracle of feeding the 5,000, and the stories go on, where just a faithful believer made themselves available to someone who or something that desperately needed to be tossed back to safety. And here's my challenge for you this morning. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit and just do little things to start off because they always start off as little things. And then watch him go beyond what you can ask or imagine. You good with that idea? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the way you outshine and outpace us. And in this place, you have done wondrous things, and I pray that you would continue to draw the hearts of the people towards just an opening up of their hearts and minds, regardless of their life preparation or disqualification that they may place upon themselves. And let your name be glorified in the church as we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.